Well, good morning. It's been a long time since I've been down here. It is so great to be back here in Pittsburgh. For those of you who are new in the last few months, my name is Alex. And uh, if you are new, you might not know that we are one church in a couple different locations. We have a location down here in Pittsburgh. We have a location north of the Hall River up there somewhere. And uh, Jaime is primarily here. I'm primarily at North Chatham. And before COVID, we used to switch like once a month, every four to six weeks. And now it's more like every three or four months we switch. So it is a pleasure to be back here to uh, see some old friends and meet some new ones. If, uh, if you're new here today for the very first time, or if you're new in the last few months, and especially if it's like, hey, it's been a few years since I've been in church, or maybe never <laughs> been in church, uh, we've been expecting you. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for, thanks for coming out here on Sunday morning and being a part of things here at Chatham Community Church. What we're all about is pretty simple. It's all about connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other. So together we can engage our world for good. We have to experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. This is our last week of our Way of Wisdom series. If you are just joining us, here's, what we're, here's the problem we're tackling. It's never been more complicated to be a human being than right here, right now. Congratulations. You're alive at literally the most complicated time to ever be a human being. You've got more things pulling at you, more things buzzing at you, more things vying for your attention, your time, your money, your approval than ever, ever, ever before. You have to manage so much complexity that it's really overwhelming. And the result is we are overwhelmed. We are more we're anxious, we're angry, we're stressed. Wisdom cuts through the clutter. Wisdom cuts through the chaos and the noise, to put it in its proper place. It takes all the things coming at us, helps us to know what's worth paying attention to, what's worth ignoring, and how do you sort of walk faithfully and wisely in the midst of all the chaos and all the clutter. It helps us to be a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful for those of us who are Jesus followers if what described us was we were just non-anxious people in the midst of a crazy, anxious world? Now, Here's the thing about wisdom, the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom, it's strong and it's stable, but it's not especially safe. You walk the way of wisdom, it might take you places you'd rather not go. It might push you to have conversations you'd rather avoid. It might force you to sort of have conflicts you'd rather not deal with. It might actually force you to deal with character issues inside yourself that you'd rather just play through and hope they went away. Way of wisdom, not especially safe, but it's good. It's full of God, full of God's spirit, it is full of joy and full of peace. It is a tree of life for you and everyone around you. The invitation throughout the series as we close out the series is to walk in the way of wisdom. Now, I've got four teenagers at home, so you can pray for me, please, me and my wife. Pray for us. Uh, they are at North Chatham. Uh, they're all serving at North Chatham in various capacities here today, so they're not here with me. But I have four teenagers, and I remember when they were really, really little. And you know what people tell you when you've got little kids? They grow up so fast. You're like, shut up. I just want a good night's sleep. And now here it is. I got four teenagers. One just came back from college last week. They do grow up fast. And part of what's so weird about how fast they grow up, uh, especially the oldest one, who's like the parenting guinea pig, right? Poor oldest people, right? Poor oldest kid, parenting guinea pig, is I was always like one step behind where I should be in their development, right? So like when they're little, when they're little, you don't give them scissors. They could hurt themselves, right? You, don't, you, you do the cutting for them when they're little. And then he went to preschool, and the teacher's like, he doesn't do well with scissors, and we're like, he's supposed to have scissors now? I had no idea. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's get him scissors. So they were like, you know, force, force marching him through cutting things with scissors, right? We were one step behind where he was developmentally, right? We were one step behind the season he was in. 
One of the tricky things about parenting, especially the oldest kid, is staying in pitch, matching pitch with the season that your kids are in, not parenting a year or two behind where they actually are. It's not just a problem parenting, right? If you're a teenager, there's different seasons and challenges, right? Middle school is one set of horrible challenges, but there's a different set of challenges when you're a junior or a senior in high school, right? Work has its own challenges, right? Different seasons of your work, your work career, your trajectory. Do you remember your first day on your first real job? Like all that nervousness, right? It's a totally different thing than your last week of your, life, of your job before you go on into retirement, right? We were just talking about that with someone earlier, right? It's a totally different fear, right? Different seasons of your career require different things of you. Marriage has its own challenges. Some of us had really sunny and easy early marriage kind of seasons. Others of us had struggles early on in marriage. And then do we have kids? Do we not have kids? If there's conflict there, then kids come along. They put different pressures and stresses on you. Singleness has its own seasons, right? It's a different thing to be single at 20 than if you're single at 40 or single at 60, right? Those are different seasons, different stages, different ways you have to steward those things. Of course, sometimes these seasons sneak up on us, right? Sometimes these seasons sneak, sneak up on us. And, what, and part of what happens sometimes is people wake up one morning and the season has changed, but they weren't aware of it, right? All they know is suddenly they wake up and they feel anxious, worried, stressed, concerned. Maybe there's like some panic. Maybe there's some anger, some frustration, some things they haven't dealt with. And all kinds of people, because they, they haven't been able to name the seasons changing, and I need to sort of figure out what that season is and how to live wisely in it. Because those seasons change and we're not always aware of it, what happens is people feel that anxiety and they make all kinds of bad decisions in this that anxiety. You know people, I know people who've ruined their marriages, their careers, their finances because they got anxious, because the season changed, and they weren't prepared for that shift. They weren't ready to live differently in light of the change of their seasons. See, my friends, it's so helpful to be able to be awake to what time it is in our lives, what season it is, and then to figure out what does it mean for me to match pitch with this season, to live wisely in step with the challenges and opportunities in this season. So as we close today, the Way of Wisdom series, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if you are a child of the 60s, there's going to be a song stuck in your head all day long from the birds from back in the 60s that was based on this song about the seasons of our lives. And part of what we want to do is this, we want to equip you as we kind of close out the series to be able to name and be awake to what are the seasons that are happening in my life right now and how do I live wisely because seasons change. And if we don't change to adapt to those seasons, then what happens is we make bad decisions. We don't live wisely in light of the opportunities and the challenges that each season brings with it. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, likely written by a man named King Solomon, uh, one, of the, one of the wisest kings in ancient Israel's history. And he is trying to equip and reflect on the reality of the change of seasons in his life and in our lives together. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Time to be born, time to die. Time to plant, time to uproot, time to kill, time to heal, time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to peace, a time for war and a time for peace. Sorry, a time to hate and a time for war and a time for peace. 
Well, back in the glory days of the 1990s with uh, high tops and hair fades and, uh, all this, all, and vanilla ice, all kinds of good things happening in the 90s. And uh, Michael Jordan was also going in a great run with his Chicago Bulls, right? They, they won championship after championship after championship. Michael Jordan, where did he go to college again? What basketball team did he play for in college? I don't quite remember. Yeah, I was Carolina, wasn't it? Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, so, so they started winning championship after championship, right? So cameras just start following them everywhere. And one of the things that, they, 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 that, that the cameras picked up on is they always did, at least for a, a long period of time, they did the very same pregame cheer, right? They, right before the tip-off, they get in the huddle, and Michael Jordan would call out, what time is it? And the whole team would shout, game time. Oh, that's how they did it, right? Now, here's the question. Was that a surprise to anyone in that huddle? Was anyone unaware that it was game time, other than Dennis Rodman, who's kind of a character? He probably, he probably wasn't aware sometimes. Right, but here's the thing. Everyone knew it was game time, but it was still important that they all name it was game time, right? Because game time's a different kind of time. It's different than practice time. It's different than time off. Naming the time helps you to lock in. Game time required a different level of focus and intensity. And it was time to lock in because it was game time. Different times require different types of focus, different types of ways to inhabit that time for you to live wisely, to flourish, to do well. Solomon here gives us a menu of options for what kind of times we might experience. And notice how he pairs these opposites together. There's a time for all these things, right? There's a time to be born, time to die, plant and uproot, kill, heal, tear down and build, weep, laugh, mourn and dance. And there's more he lists, right? Now, some of these are inevitable seasons, right, that we don't choose, like time to be born. No one, none of you picked that time, right? It just happened to you. That's just how it happens. Some of them are seasons that we have to choose. Is it time, if it's time to build, you have to still decide to build, right? That's a, that's a choice you have to make. If it's time to give up, you're the one that has to choose to give up. And then some of them are sort of things that just sort of happen to us uh, almost automatically, right? Weeping or laughing or dancing or celebrating. These are, these are emotional responses to the realities that we face along the way. All these different menus, all these different experiences that we have. And Solomon doesn't cover every possibility, right? He covers most of them, right? Gives us kind of a menu of things. But at the end of it, here's the question. He looks at you, looks at me, and says to you, what time is it? What time is it in your life? What time is it? What season are you in? Can you name it? Do you know it? Are you awake to it? Because different times require different ways of inhabiting that time for you to flourish, live wisely, and live well. Now, one of the things, if you're paying attention to this, sorry, this is giving me some troubles, that stands out, there's, there's a bunch of negative stuff in here, right? There's, time, like, there's a time to, like, uh, time to die, time to kind of give up, time to scatter stones, time to refrain from embracing. There's some really sort of hard stuff in here. We were talking about this in my small group, the fact that there's a lot of kind of downer kind of things. And depending on your temperament and your personality, that might, even, that might either feel kind of comforting and refreshing or a little bit depressing, Right? Some of you might know someone who's a relentless optimist. Any of you know relentless optimist? Any of you sitting next to him or her right now? Any of you that person, right? Now, one of the, I love relentless optimists. I am one of you. But one of the problems with us relentless optimists is sometimes we don't deal with the hard stuff so well, do we? Gloss over. Minimize. Not that bad. Not that bad. Not that bad. Sure, I just lost a limb. Not that bad. Not that bad. Not that bad. Sure, my business is falling apart. My children are going off the rails. Everything's horrible. Not that bad. Not that bad. Not that bad, right? Here's the deal. Optimists, and I'm one of you, we can gloss over the hard stuff because we don't want to deal with the hard stuff. Now, on the other end of the spectrum are relentless pessimists. Pessimists never like to be called pessimists. They prefer to be called realists. (laughs) 
How many of you know a relentless pessimist realist kind of person, right? Relentless pessimist realists like to live on the melancholy and the things that will just wallow, wallow, wallow in the heartache of life. It is all hard. It's all hard. It doesn't matter how good there is. It is just bad. And sometimes they miss the beauty and the joy and the laughter in life because they're so rooted and things are horrible all the time. It's way easier as a human being to cling to everything's always good or everything's always bad. And what Jesus does is refuses to live on either end, right? He's just a totally healthy human being where he integrates all the seasons because every season is what means to be human. There's a time to laugh and a time to weep. There's a time to dance and a time to mourn. There's a time to search and a time to give up, right? Jesus experiences the full range of what it means to be human. That's what it means to be human is to embrace all the ups and downs of life and actually be willing to experience them and be awake. You're not glossing over, ignoring, or pretending about anything, right? Jesus got accused of being a partier by the Pharisees. He had too much fun, right? The Pharisees accused him, accused him of being a partier. And then he goes to the tomb of his best friend, one of his best friends. He weeps there. Even though he's going to raise him from the dead, he still weeps, right? Celebration. Weeping. It's all part of what it means to be human. Solomon maps out. These things, right, the good and the bad. And he invites us to ask the question, what time is it in your life? Now, game time for the Chicago Bulls. That was easy, right? The clock was ticking down for the tip-off. There were buzzers. There was a jump ball. It was clear when the game began and when the game ended, right? It was so scripted. It was so clear. Normal life isn't like that, right? Seasons change and shift, and you're not always aware of it. You're not always awake to it. And so I want to give you a few questions, uh, some prayers that you can pray, some easy prompts that will help you to try to be awake to what time is it in your life. And here's the three questions. I'm going to give you some, some things you can pray, right? What time is it in my life? What does this time require of me? <laughs> and what might need for me to change? What might need to change in me for me to habit this season wisely? Because every season has got opportunities, threats, challenges. That if you can name them, you can be prepared to live in them and steward them wisely. What time is it in my life? What does this time require of me? What might need to change in me for me to inhabit this season, this time wisely? Because here's the deal. Some seasons are going to be natural fits for you and some aren't. Like for me and my family, like, you know, I got four teenagers. I got to tell you, little kids, elementary school kids, way more fun, way easier. Like that was way more natural for me. I'm having to work hard to figure out how do I match pitch with the opportunities of teenagers. I haven't figured out what the opportunities are. If some of you know, please tell me after the service, okay? But stewarding kids, stewarding teenagers, that's been, a hard, that's been a hard, different kind of a challenge for us. We've had to kind of grow up into that challenge. It was way easier when they were younger and sunnier. Every season has opportunities and challenges. Things need to change in us for us to meet this. And listen, it's not always clear what the answers are to this question, right? You might not know the answer. That's totally fine because there's not, there's, not there's not a horn it's not a buzzer, not a whistle. It just sometimes things change and you're like, oh my gosh, that ha that, that, that's happened. And you're kind of turned around in it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go for nice long walks with these questions. Pray about them for days, weeks. Like go, bring them to the Lord. Lord, what time is it in my life? What does need to change in me for me to inhabit this season wisely? What, what's going on and how do I be awake to the opportunities that are before me? And also be awake to the ways that I might feel threatened or might struggle in this season. What time is it? What does this time require of me? What might need to change for me to inhabit this season, these days, weeks, months, maybe even years, wisely, faithfully, so that I might flourish and those around me might flourish as well? Solomon kind of maps out these times and invites us to ask the question, what time is it? How do I live wisely in light of this?
Now, just a couple verses after he maps out these different seasons and these different kind of changes and stretches of time, he has two wonderful lines that we're going to kind of close this series with because they're so delightful, so beautiful, very simple, but they are so, so very profound. A couple verses after he wraps up sort of the time for everything and time for this and for that, he says this, he writes this in verse 11. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Would you read that with me? He has made everything beautiful in its time. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a great promise? We don't have time to get all the way into this, but for some of you, maybe this is why you're here today. So we're going to take a few minutes to drill down. Maybe this is why you're here today. No matter what you've been through, no matter what stupid things you've done, God is committed to making everything beautiful in his time. A couple weeks ago, I was meeting with a guy who doesn't go to Chatham Community Church. Uh, he's never been to Chatham Community Church, uh, but uh, he's heard of us, and he knows we've been in the community and making a difference and serving some things he cares about, so he's really impressed with that. And he's got spiritual hunger. He's curious, but he's got some church baggage. Some of you got church baggage. Amen, church baggage, right? We know that. We know it's like to have church baggage. He's also got some personal hurt and, bat- and pain from his childhood that hasn't really worked out. And so he's asking me, like, okay, he's curious, he's got a spiritual hunger, he's realizing there's something he needs, and so he's asking me what we believe, what's your church all about? And of course, eventually I get to Easter. And what I say to him is, listen, my friends, listen, listen, everyone loves a good redemption story, right? Redemption stories, they're like some of the best-selling books of all time are redemption stories, right? The Harry Potter series, nothing but one giant redemption story. Here's the good news. Jesus is the once and for all redemption story for all time. The redemption story. The final redemption story, written in the blood of Christ. And what he is committed to do is he has been, he has laid down his life to redeem the world. He has been raised from the dead by God the Father so that he will one day make everything, everything, everything beautiful in his time. Isn't that great news? Great news. One day, all things will be made new. My friends, if you're here this morning, you've got a limp. There's stuff going on in your life. It's not right. It's not good. It's hard, frustrating, difficult. Your marriage is in a hard spot. Job stuff's in a hard spot. Financially, you're in a hard spot. There's baggage and pain from your family, extended family, from your childhood stuff you haven't dealt with. I've got really good news for you. God is radically committed to making every single thing beautiful in it's time. That's good news for you and for me. It's also really good news for your neighbor who doesn't care about God. It's also really good news for the family member who doesn't care about God. That God's so committed to making everything beautiful in its time is the story of redemption that Jesus has written in his blood to redeem and make all things new one day. Now, here's the thing. God's timing is never quite my timing. I'm always in a much bigger rush than God is, right? Now, I'm sure you all are much more spiritual than I am. You're probably way more patient than I am. You all talk much slower than I do, I'm sure. <laughs> so God's timing is not my timing, right? And so sometimes what I have to do is I have to pray this prayer. God, I believe that you want to make everything beautiful in its time, and I'm frustrated you're not doing it quickly enough, but I'm going to surrender that. Right? I'm going to trust that you're good and that you're committed to making things beautiful. I'm going to walk in that way. And ultimately, this promise won't be fulfilled until Jesus returns. And he sings out over all creation, behold, I'm making everything new. Behold, I'm making everything new. One day, one day, one day, all shall be well. Jesus is Lord. He is coming back to make all things beautiful in his time. For you and for me 
and he invites the whole world, everyone, 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 to his grand redemption story. Your neighbors, your friends, your family members, come and see, come and see, come and see the great redemption story, the great redemption of every broken thing that will one day be made new. And my friends, I want us to have our hearts that break for our neighbors and family members and friends who don't know the story. I want our hearts to be hungry to see them knowing the great redeemer and the great redemptive story and the promise of the God who says, I will make you beautiful. So I wanna invite us, I wanna challenge us. This summer, will you be praying for the neighbors that don't know this redemptive story? Will you be praying for them? Will you be thinking about them? Will you be looking for opportunities to share your story? I know your story's not perfect. I know my story's not perfect. It's okay. God's writing a redemptive story. He's already doing the first, the first roots of it in your life. Can you be on the lookout for who has God put in my life that I might invite to his beauty-making redemption story? What friends, what family members can I invite into God's redemptive story? That's like, I'm praying for you. That's like, let me share my story. That's like, let me invite you to my church community. We're working this out as best we possibly can. Can you be awake to who God's put in your life that he might write his redemptive story in their life? And you have a big part in that, to be the person who helps them to know that story, come awake and alive to that story. My friends, I got really good news for you. God is committed to making you beautiful in his time. And so I want to give you a little prayer, a little beauty-making prayer, because some of us are coming in this morning and like, man, I got so much brokenness, so much pain. Here's an invitation. Here's a simple prayer you might pray. God, I believe your promise that you will make blank beautiful in your time. And I want to put you whatever blank you need to in there. You're committed to making my marriage beautiful in its time, my kids my job situation, my financial situation, my home, my extended family drama. Some of you, no one has extended family drama in here, right? No, never. God, I believe and trust that you're committed to making whatever it is that's like weighing in on you today, whatever you're holding today, beautiful in your time. I'm praying that you fulfill that promise in Jesus' name. Now, as you pray that prayer, that's also a surrender prayer, right? Again, my timing, not always God's timing. So are you willing to pray this prayer of like, God, would you make this beautiful? But I'm trusting it's gonna be in your time. But in Jesus' name, I'm claiming this promise and asking you to fulfill it. Now remember, as you're praying this prayer, here's the last word on this, that the, the best gift God can give you is the gift of himself. The best, the thing that God is most radically committed to making beautiful is not things out there, it's you. And so what he wants to do is pour his beauty-making Holy Spirit into your heart, into your mind into your spirit, that you might be a beautiful thing, a beautiful person, that you might be strong and courageous, full of God's wisdom, full of God's light, full of God's love. The greatest gift God could give you is the gift of himself, making you the man or woman God designed you to be, intended you to be in the very beginning. So as we pray for God to make things beautiful around us, we also are open to him making us beautiful within us. And we surrender and submit our timing, our days, we open ourselves to his spirit. Say, God, if you want to make me beautiful in the process, that would be awesome. The very next phrase that Solomon writes after this is this also delightful, beautiful phrase. He writes this. God has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Of course, that makes you think of Krispy Kreme donuts. This, my friends, is a chocolate iced Cream-filled Krispy Kreme donut is one of God's greatest gifts to human beings ever. <laughs> On the outside is delightfully deep-fried goodness donut topped with a delectable chocolate glaze, which is good enough. But buried deep within it, at the heart of it, is this delightfully sugary, gooey goodness that is so, there's nothing like it on earth. And my friends, I'm here to tell you some really, really good news. You are a lot like this donut. Turn to your neighbor, say, neighbor, 
Turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you're like that donut. You are like that donut. You are delightful and beautiful on the outside. It's totally made. You're, you're sophisticated. You're beautiful. Like your body works. The synapses are firing. you got like a brain and a personality, emotional complexity, all the stuff on the outside. But deep, deep, deep inside of you is this thing called the heart. And what the scripture declares is at the center of your heart, God has dropped a drop of his eternity right at the center of your heart. It's like a good Krispy Kreme donut. And you will never be at peace until the eternal drop in you is filled with the eternal Holy Spirit of the God of the heavens and earth. The only way we know peace is when the eternity that God has placed in each one of our hearts comes alive when we come in contact with God's eternal spirit and God's eternity. See, God doesn't live in deep space. Like he's like, not like a Martian. God lives in a different kind of time. It's called eternity, deep time. And God stands in eternity, and like our times are like a film strip in front of him, right? Like it's like, the, like inside the film strip, there's a time, certain set of time, but the producer, the director, stands outside that film strip and can see the beginning and the end, right? So God holds all these things, and we could talk about like how much God decides, blah, blah, blah. We've had that conversation. But the idea that God, God's time is different than our time. He can see our time laid out in front of him. It's, he, he inhabits deep time, eternal time. It has its own rhythms, its own cadences, it has its own culture, it has its own sort of priorities and values. It runs at its own pace, and deep inside every single human being is a drop of his eternal time. Even the people around you that want nothing to do with spiritual stuff or God, it doesn't matter. They have a drop of God's eternity in their hearts. And you can try to clutter it up with busyness, with apathy, with achievement and accomplishment. We try to fill, we stuff all kinds of things. We try to stuff all kinds of things into that eternal spot in our hearts. But nothing satisfies it until the eternal God has taken up residence in that eternity he's placed in our hearts. The only way we experience the wholeness we were created for is if we allow the eternity in us to be filled with the eternity of God's love for us in Jesus. And so as we're praying for our friends and neighbors and family members, we're also awake to the fact that, God, I have all kinds of temptations to want to fill that sort of eternity in my heart with all kinds of other stuff. Lord, would you clear out the clutter? Would you clear out the clutter? And would you fill me with the eternal Holy Spirit that I might come alive? And then would you make me awake? And would you make my friends and family members and neighbors awake too? That you place eternity in them as well. And would you give them holy discontent? There's a beautiful thing called holy discontent, which means I'm not happy with life apart from God. And our culture is swimming in it. It's, it's tweeted millions of times a day. All these people expressing on Facebook and social media all their discontent. And much of it springs from the fact that you got eternity in your heart and you're ignoring it, trying to play through it. You're not, satisfied in, you're not satisfied in God, so you're not going to be satisfied with anything. And so the invitation to you and to me is to anchor our lives in God's eternal time. See, Solomon, just before this, has talked about seasons, right? And seasons are time-bound things. They start and they end. And it's all about these cycles of seasons that are all kind of caught up in earthly time, in temporal time. And what Solomon says is this, I want you to anchor yourself in God's eternal time so you can habit your seasons wisely, right? Live in, live in these seasons. Name the season you're in, but don't be defined by the season you're in. Be defined by God's eternity. That gives you wisdom and perspective to see the season for what it is. It's just a season, so you steward the seasons of your life way wiser, way strong, more strongly, with a whole lot more peace when your perspective is anchored in the eternity that God has placed in your heart. And when you found your place in God's eternal story. 
And you're relating to the seasons and the comings and the goings in such a way that you're holding this life loosely because you're anchored in the eternal life of God. That's the invitation. And so what we have to do with this eternity placed in each one of us is we have to practice. We have to cultivate practices that allow the eternity in you to come alive as it comes in contact with the eternity that God inhabits and ultimately the eternal God who lives there. We have to cultivate practices, right? So prayer does this. Prayer, when we're doing it rightly, what it does, here's what prayer does. Here's, what, here's how I want you to think about prayer next time you sit down to pray, right? Christians, you pray occasionally, whatever. What I want you, when you, next time you pray, I want you to think, I am stepping out of temporary time to step into eternal time. That's what I'm doing when I pray, right? I'm unhooking from the crazy busy life. I'm unhooking from my to-do list. I'm unhooking from the, the demands that cl like cl clamor for me and cry out for my attention. I'm unhooking for, from temporal time when I pray to hook into eternal time when I pray. And what I'm doing, when you're praying and you're interceding especially, you're acting like as a conduit between God's eternal resources and the problems and opportunities right in front of you, right? You're, what you're doing is you're straddling temporary time and eternal time with that drop of eternity in your heart being opened up to all the resources of heaven. God, would you make me a funnel for your grace, your love, your power, your mercy to pour from eternity into my family, into my job, into my work situation, into my marriage? Would you make me a funnel? I want to hook into your eternity. And I want to sort of all those resources to be poured out into this place right here, right now, in this season. Would you help me to steward this season wisely as I anchor myself in the eternity of who God is and who he's making me to be beautiful? Prayer is one of the ways we do that. It's not the only way. Reading scripture also anchors us, right? Reading scripture anchors us in things that are eternally true. Have you ever noticed how much truth changes about every five minutes today? Right? What's true, what's right, what's good, it changes every five minutes, right? And some things are helpful corrections. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying when we, re our, when we anchor ourselves in the scripture, it anchors us in this larger eternal story. God is writing a redemption story that will never, ever end. It will go into eternity. And so what you're doing when you read scripture is you're stepping out of temporal time and into deep time. God's resources, what's true, what's right, what's good, what's righteous, not self-righteousness, God's righteousness, a real righteousness that endures. Worship does this too. We get together to worship. You know what happens every time we get together to worship on Sunday morning? We're always late. Some of you all are always late. <laughs> We're always late to worship. You know why? Because 24-7 there's worship going on in the heavens. We're always late to worship. Always angels singing. Always those who have gone before us who've passed away and the Lord before us. They're already singing. They're already worshiping. We jump in. It's like a game of like double dutch. We're like jumping in. It's already going. We're already jumping in, right? But there's already worship happening. Already things happening. We're trying to get the flow. Like there's worship happening. Every time we get together to worship, we are joining our voices with angels and those who have gone before us and people all over the globe who are singing to the same Jesus. We get together in small groups. Part of the point of being, getting together in small groups is that we together are helping one another cultivate living out of deep time. How do we live out of light of God's eternity? How do we sort of partner with God and partner together to live eternally right here, right now in the season, naming the season as wisely as we possibly can? Prayer, scripture, worship, community, small groups. These are ways that we cultivate and inhabit deep time together. We open them up. Every Sunday we open the doors to all of Pittsburgh and beyond, and we say, come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see what God's doing. Come be a part of this deep time, this great God, this redemption story that God is writing in Jesus. Come and be a part of it. Some of you don't buy any of this. So glad you're here. Some of you are sure this is true. So glad you're here. And, and, and part of what the world will tell you is like, you're, there's no, there's no cream-filled donut inside your heart. You're just a human being with biology, right? I mean, that's what, right? It's like, so there's all kinds of people who say like, hey, like no spirit, no spiritual stuff. You are like flesh and bones and DNA. You're a giant accident walking on this planet. 
And a lot of times what you go, like, you go to the kind of, some of these bloggers about that kind of thing, and they'll say, hey, listen, try not, just ignore the hunger you have for purpose and meaning. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. And I'm here to tell you really good news. You were made for meaning. You were made for purpose. You don't have to shove that down. You can embrace it fully. Open it up. God hardwired you up for meaning and for purpose because you were made for meaning and for purpose. You were made to be a part of his eternal redemption story. Step into that story. Take a step, take a step, take a step. Play through the atheists, play through the people who just say, you're just matter, you're matter, you're matter, it's all that matters, it doesn't matter. Just step into the story and see what God might do. How it might awaken something in you that other people just want you to press down, press down and ignore. Don't press it down, you're made for it. Step into it. Other people will say, hey, okay, sure, maybe there's a little bit of jelly inside of you, maybe a little bit of cream filled inside of you, but it doesn't matter what spirituality, just find whatever works for you. We're here to declare that there is one, one, one human being who God raised from the dead. His name is Jesus. No one else even makes that claim. He's writing a redemption story, the redemption story in his blood. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And so we invite you. We bless, uh, we bless our neighbors. We want to love everybody. We're not like out to, out to get anybody at all. But we are going to stand firm on Jesus is lord and there is no other. He is the redemption story. He is the redeemer that God has chosen to unlock eternity for all of us for all time. Come and walk in his way. His way is wisdom. It's true. It's right. It's good. Come and walk in his way. See what he might do. Come and see what God has done in Jesus. God has placed eternity in our hearts, that we might anchor ourselves in that eternity, that we might live wisely right here, right now, in this season. So as we close our Way of Wisdom series, we kind of just bring together today's wildly important take-homes. I love doing this because that's how I roll. These are some things that we talked about throughout the course of this, of, of this morning. I just want to hit them one more time. Here's the things I want to invite you to think about today. What season is it? What time is it in my life? What does this time require of me? What might need to change for me to inhabit this season wisely? What are the opportunities that are unique to this season? You don't want to miss the opportunities. And then what are the challenges and the threats? I want to be awake to those things. I want to name them. I want to start praying over them. I want to surrender those things over to the Lord. Second prompt. God has made everything beautiful in his time. Isn't that great news? God, I believe your promise that you will make blank beautiful in your time. I'm trusting in your time. But I'm also asking that you would fulfill that promise in Jesus' name. Maybe some of you just need to pray. That. Maybe that's why some of you are here today, just to pray that prayer over and over and over again for the next few days. And then finally, <laughs> I want to invite you to cultivate practices that allow the eternity in you to come alive as it comes in contact with the eternity that God inhabits ultimately to be filled by the eternal presence and the goodness of God. My friends, as we step into these practices, as we receive God's presence, as we receive his generous spirit in our hearts, it invites us to walk on the way of wisdom, to inhabit and steward this time, this day, these weeks. Your challenge is right here, right now. Every job's a custom job. Every grace job is a custom job, but it has similar signatures, similar redemptive patterns to it. The invitation to you and to me is to put ourselves in that hand and to follow him all our days as we walk together in the way of wisdom. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for being fully human and fully God. Thank you that you uh, get us and you know us. <laughs> thank you for being so generous to us. Thank you for your kindness to us. We declare that you're King of kings and Lord of lords and that you are the one who is gonna make everything beautiful in your time. And in the meantime, Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends who are here who are struggling in their season, who are in a hard place in their season, who feel in their bodies, in their spirits, in their minds, in their relationships, in their finances, in their job or workplace, in their extended family, 
in their neighborhoods, that there are heartbreaking and difficult things going on. We declare that Jesus is Lord and that you are going to make everything beautiful in your time. We pray for our times. I pray for my friends here that each of us would have wisdom to be able to name what time it is right now in this season in our lives. Would we be awake and alert to what might need to change about us, what changes or adjustments we, not, we might need to make in order to inhabit this season wisely and faithfully in a way that causes and leads to flourishing for all people. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to cultivate practices that awaken us to eternity. And even now, Lord, as we pray, we want to pull out of temporary time and anchor ourselves in deep time, eternal time, that we might have perspective to look back on what's happening around us, to look around us and have wisdom and fruitfulness. Lord, for my friends who are here who aren't sure they believe any of this, thank you so much for putting that little drop of eternity in every single heart. Would we come alive and awake as we enter into the great story of Jesus, that redemption story? that you are writing. Lord, would you write that redemption story here? Already in this room, there are all kinds of redemption stories. Bless the Lord. Thank you for the redemption stories you've already written. And we pray, Lord Jesus, for the redemption stories yet to be written here in this room. And then, Lord, we also want to pray for Pittsburgh. We pray a blessing over Pittsburgh. We pray a blessing of redemption over every single one of our neighbors, over every single person who inhabits any part of Pittsburgh. They've been here for generations or they just got here five minutes ago. We want to bless them with the great redemption story that God is writing in Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, would would this community be a light to Pittsburgh, singing out the good news. Behold, God is making everything beautiful in his time. Come and see Come and see, come and see the beauty-making God, the redeeming God. Come and be a part of what God is doing in our community right here, right now. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making everything beautiful in your time, including us and including all of Pittsburgh. We want to bless Pittsburgh, be a part of Chatham County, your kingdom coming, your will being done on earth, right here in Chatham County, right here in our backyard, as it is in heaven. We bless you and we praise you, King of kings, Lord of lords, for all eternity. Give us the courage and strength to walk the way of wisdom. We ask in your strong and mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's stand as we sing our last song together.